Hi, this is Brendan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark for another episode of Wuxia Workshop. And today we're going to be talking about a film called Reign of Assassins, which is a 2010 film. Uh, it's directed by Su Chao Pin, but it's also often credited uh, to John Woo because he played such a big role in it, and he was, uh, I believe, one of the producers. Uh, and it stars Michelle Yeoh and is... Uh, um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like her return to martial arts cinema because I think before this, I'm not 100% sure, but I think like Crouching Tiger might have been her most recent uh, martial arts film prior to this. I could be wrong about that. Um, but it had been a while, I think. And so it's, 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 and, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of a, 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 just for that alone, it's, it's, it's worth checking out. But uh, the film is, it's, meant to be sort of a Gulong-inspired movie. It kind of gets at a lot of the similar things where they have lots of characters and mystery, and it involves the the MacGuffin of the Bodhidharma and this organization called Darkstone, which Michelle Yeoh's character belongs to at the beginning of the film. They're a group of assassins, and they want to get this Bodhidharma. It's like a, um, it's the uh, uh, Buddhist monk who, who brought um, Kung Fu to China. And, and the... Uh, after they acquire it by massacring this family, she decides to, to leave with it and to exit the martial world. And she gets essentially like primitive reconstructive surgery and seeks out a new life, I think in Luyang or something. And she meets a guy named Ashung who uh, she falls in love with and marries. But then her past comes back to haunt her. And that's kind of the, the, the basic premise of the movie. Did I miss any key things, Joel? Or is that does that get at the, the heart of the film? That's the heart of it. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the devil, of course, is in the details, especially with a movie like this, where, like, everything comes full circle very cleanly and very completely, and there's there's a lot of little, like, blink-and-you-miss-it scenes that are actually really critical to the way the plot works. So, I, I mean, like, granted that, that's the big, like, fundamental basis of the movie and the broad strokes of it. Uh, of course, you left out the wonderful resolution, but I'm sure we'll get to that here pretty so- shortly. And uh, what did you think of the movie? Because I think this was your first time seeing it, right? You had right. known about Sorry. it for a while, though, right? Uh, yeah, I, I heard about it when it first came out. A lot of my friends were really into it. But back then, I wasn't super into kung fu movies. So I was just like, oh, I'll just give it a pass. I'll watch it later. So uh, later, finally, came I was uh, actually asked for recommendations for this uh, this wushu workshop. And on the Discord, someone recommended Random Assassins. And I was like, you know what? I've been meaning to watch that. I'll give that a try. So I rented it on Amazon. It was like four bucks. It's not very expensive. And got to watch it. As far as my thoughts, let me see. It was really entertaining. Uh, in a lot of ways, it feels like a really strong continuity from the kind of uh, 70s kung fu movies we've been watching. Like, the, a lot of the plot elements are really, like, they're, they're very classic. They kind of tread in those footsteps. The um, It's got a really strong claim as a wuxia movie because it's got all those wonderful wuxia elements of secret societies and kung fu MacGuffins and all sorts of nifty stuff like that. There's also uh, a lot of special techniques and fighting styles and weaknesses and strengths thereof. And there's a lot of master and uh, student relationships, all of which are really that make the, that wonderful rich wooshy weave. We really enjoy movies so that all those elements are there, but there's a lot of modernization of like the way that action scenes are shot that are, that's really fluid and very beautiful yep. and very striking. Visually. But still kind of classic. Wouldn't you agree? It's still kind of rooted in the classic yes. style. It doesn't feel it, it's not like shaky cam stuff or any, any... No, no, it's, it's not that kind of more that muddled kind of mid-2000s action stuff. This feels like a, a, a stronger continuation. And actually, uh, 
like looking at it from the the 70s movies through the 90s movies to this much more recent movie so you said this was like a 2010 movie yeah uh like it feels like this is a clean evolution of the same kind of action staging and shooting techniques so that was that was wonderful to uh it's it's really entertaining just to, to look at like visually it's really arresting and uh it's, it does a great job bringing forward the action um let me see plot wise i was really like i was really impressed a lot of times with 70s movies i don't know if it was the shaw brothers being like doing that kind of golden age of hollywood thing where they would slam out movie after movie i don't know if it was maybe a more cleanly chinese cultural thing i don't know if uh but a lot of times when i'm watching the 70s movies like plotting wise i'll be like wait where did that guy come from mm-hmm. and i'll just be like a little bit like, i'll be like a half step behind the movie that was much more pronounced when we started yeah. this by the way now it's a little closer and I'm, I'm a little more familiar but this one i never had that moment with even though like admittedly like i said there's a lot of blink and you miss it scenes there's a lot yeah. of stuff where like oh she stabbed that guy i didn't who is that guy? oh yeah it's that dude like the beginning of the movie really slams you through a pretty significant amount of backstory and that comes up and informs the rest of the movie yep. so you've really got to pay attention during those first five minutes but even with that i never felt lost I, I never felt like i was behind the movie's little learning curve you know so i don't know if that's just them modernizing it i don't know if that's a western uh, like a western movie influence i don't know i think but it, it made I, think it really... I think they just did a good job with it i think they um Perhaps there's there's a lot of characters in the movie like like you have with a lot of those '70s Shaw Brothers movies. In fact, that was one of their goals was to make a lot of characters for the film, but you don't ever get lost by them. And I think it's simply due to the number one. You had mentioned the simplicity of the plot before the podcast, and I think the simplicity of the plot helps. But also, they sort of drop the characters in at moments that just don't they don't sort of you don't get thrown off. Like when the two Taoist characters who are kind of like, they're like the reverse of Zhao Longnu and, and Yang Guo. They're, they're like the, the teacher and disciple who have fallen in love. But they're, they're more like a really wicked, awful couple. And, they, and they're, they're the ones that try to rob the, uh, the Bodhidharma from the crippled magistrate. Uh, you know, you're not confused by them at all. They introduce them and then they, and then they follow up the introduction with the action scene. So you kind of get like, I feel like in this movie they do a very good job of planting a lot of seeds. And then, and then the seeds, when the seeds, you know, yield fruit, it's, it's, it's not surprising. You're not, you're not confused by it. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, you, you just see it, you know, throughout the film. Like, for example, the whetstone scene. Do you know what I mean? The, yeah, uh, the whetstone scene. That was know, a good one. Yeah, she, call, she calls attention to, the, like, she's following Ashung around, the turquoise character. Is, uh, is following around. She's like, he's a stupid man. He just shovels dung all day and walks around. The only interesting thing he did was buy a whetstone. And that was like the one clue that that's, that's I think, why Michelle Yeoh doesn't freak out when she drops the, um, the, the melon on the table uh, and says that she just chopped off his head. Because I think when she mentions that he bought the whetstone, Michelle Yeoh starts to get a clue that, uh, that maybe he can handle himself. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, because why would you buy a whetstone as a dung shoveler? But uh, but yeah. So so, what was your overall impression? Did you like it? Did you think it was a good movie? Did you like? Where would you rank it? Let me see. In the in the great ranking of things, I, I do prefer my movies a little more gonzo, as you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so this this was a lot more grounded than I would usually prefer. D- despite that minor, admittedly minor and, and preferential criticism, I really I did quite enjoy the movie. Um, could have used a little more action. I, I felt like like the action scenes that we got were fantastic. Would have liked a little more, maybe a little longer. Um, 
let me see. A few more techniques, I think, would have rounded it out. It, uh, what was the, the blood rain spattering sword, or it was called? The technique. water shedding sword, I think. Or yeah, water shedding sword. That was the technique, yeah. like, that got mentioned. And th- there should have been a little bit more uh, named techniques, I yeah. feel like. Cause I feel and like- we did get other techniques, they just didn't often give them the names. And we got the ones um, that the monk taught her, which were also kind of part of her arsenal, but they were, like, you know, uh, you know, finding clarity and obscurity. And um, mm-hmm. uh, what were some... Okay. There were all these contradictions that were kind of meant to yield an insight, I think. Um, there were four moves that he taught her yeah and also i'd like to point out that that scene really telegraphed that that monk was going to die because everything was in fours and in yeah. fours basically the death number in, in uh chinese i don't want to say mythology i want to say like uh superstition yeah it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it, 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 the number mean, can mean death and yeah and, like because even it, at the beginning of the scene that he was like oh, i'm going to be a monk in just four days and immediately <laughs> i was like that guy is toast you're not getting out of the scene line brother and it's, it's kind of funny because a western audience might have the opposite reaction could four is a perfectly agreeable number in western yeah there's not any connotation so, here yeah. so next uh, to 13 days we'd be like oh yeah a little different. So I thought, I, yeah, I th- that whole one of the th- so so I just want to say right off the bat, this is one of my favorite Wuxia films. It might be vying for my favorite. Like if I had a top three, this would be up there with the Bride with White Hair and you know something like uh, uh, Death Duel or Hero Shed No Tears. You know, depending on my mood of the week, which one I'm putting in there. But Man. but this this is up there. And and I would also say, like the Bride with White Hair, I think it's a nearly perfect movie. Like I think it's a there's nothing I would change about the film. Um, it's 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 the martial arts are great, but we also have a really great story. We have a love story at the heart of the movie. There's also a story of spiritual transformation and redemption over the course of the film, but it's not easily earned redemption. It's like a very difficultly no, like, um, obtained. That, that was a good center to this movie. I felt like, and they they keep bringing back that bridge metaphor time and yeah. time again. So like, yeah, that that was really good. And there's a lot of like powerful but subtle elements that make it really fun to watch well, i'm not I, gonna I, lie precisely as you i cried a lot during this movie when i first saw it and i still cry <laughs> when i see it and uh and and i think it's because it's a very moving film not just because of the love story aspect but because of the and joel's making some faces to mock me but no i, no, I, I mean I, like I, it's it's really sweet i it, I, I, I i'm I'm a little moved and charmed by how genuinely you emotionally reacted to this movie. I, I'm, it's I'm a very moving film because because it's not just the love angle. It's 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 bringing in sort of that spiritual angle and like the I don't know. Anytime they have a movie about characters that like are desperate to leave the martial world behind and they have all this drama, it just kind of I find it it carries a lot of weight. But then when you add in the whole like all those scenes with the with the Buddhist master that she's talking to and he's trying to help her sort of you know, let go of her attachments to what's happened and, and all these things. I just, I just find those, I find those scenes moving. I find the scenes with her and Ashung moving. I find just the whole film just has this, uh, this emotional, uh, tug to it that, you know, in part is due a lot to the acting. You know, there's a lot of really good actors in the movie. Like Michelle Yeoh is great. There is a beautiful wuxia waltz between the writing, the acting, the chemistry and the casting. Yep. Like I, I hear you there because you're right that uh, and that is an undeniable thing. Even not ranking this in my personal preferential favorites, that is undeniably a strength of this movie. 
Well, and also, like you mentioned, the bridge. So much of this film, it's it's so simple, but there's so many little details that just kind of all perfectly balance each other. You know, the the bridge the bridge thing is when the monk dies, he basically declares her love for her by quoting, uh, I think one of the one of the Buddha's disciples who was in love with a woman and said something to the effect of, "If I could become a bridge and endure 500 years of rain and all this stuff, just so she can walk over me." Like that's a, you know, that's like, that's true to devotion. But what's really interesting is that's mirrored against the wheel king who is in love with turquoise and Mm -hmm. buries her under a bridge so that when he walks over, he can see her every time. It's like the, the, I I just like how everything can be centered on that bridge metaphor. And, and, you know, and they're just, I don't know. It's just one of these movies. It just has all these, like the, it's kind of like a diamond. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's perfect in so many ways. Um. Yeah, it, it revisits and it, it does kind of revolve around the gravity of a few extremely simple but powerful themes. There's a lot of facets to the way it explores those themes. I think that that bridge metaphor right there is a good one because it's not the last time they come to it. Um, in the very end of the movie, they they come to it as well, and the, they she says the bridge is a, a version of that same little yep. bridge saying to the guy, she's stabbing him to save his life. Ironically, so there's there's a lot of stuff like that that uh that shows you like it's a wonderful exploration of how the characters interact with the enormous things they have to deal with in their lives, like their responsibilities and their relationships and like the, the Titanic forces of the world they're dealing with. So like, yeah, there's a, Oh, go ahead. I I was meandering off, but like it really is something. It's, It's something to watch. Um, again, if they just named some more Kung Fu techniques though, I think it would have been absolutely perfect. Well, and it's it's and it's a movie that's kind of about like karma and destiny and reincarnation yeah. and all these things, and it just handles it all so well. And it, and and all those things really are kind of about how just the difficulty of being human. Do you know what I mean? Just sort of like you know dealing with being human. And yeah, and yeah, that's uh, a reincarnation theme in the way that the that the two leads get a new life from their old yeah. one. Well, and that's all. Really go ahead. Uh, so. <laughs> no, because I mean that's that's all. Like everybody basically wants that. She wants to live a normal life. The the wheel king wants to be a normal man. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody just kind of wants, except I think for like turquoise, who God knows what she wants. But oh, ooh, Lord knows. But uh, but you know, um, uh, what's his name? Was it Lee Bin the 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 one who did the noodles? Um, you know, yeah, I, he just wanted to make noodles. Crispy he just wanted noodles. to make noodles. He just wanted to open a noodle shop with his wife. You know, his wife was so lovely and they had a child and like, you know, that's all he, that's all he, obviously that was all he really cared about at that point. And, and, yeah, and there's a lot of characters like that where like, they're not really villainous. They're just in the role of villains, yeah. like the bad ends. But what's so good about that is when his character, like there's this, this really crucial scene where the magician decides to betray Wheel King and is like, Hey, the three of us can team up on Wheel King and we can take the, I'll take the Bodhi. You, you Lee Bin, you can go and make noodles and take the money and and drizzle you can go and live your life as a normal person with your husband and you know if we just team up together and lee bin is sort of the deciding factor in that conflict he's the one who sits on the sidelines and is weighing the fight as it happens and making his choice and you can tell because you know about the noodle scene that that's that's ultimately what he's thinking of what is which 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 side should i ally with so that i can get back to my to my wife and child and and open my doodle shop. And it just, I, I feel like it's really easy to understand what all the characters are 
are doing and why they're doing it. And it, 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 you don't, you don't, it didn't like in a lot of these movies, you will have sort of that shifting alliance scene where where suddenly somebody changes sides for some reason, and and it almost undercuts the character's original depiction leading up to that point in the film. Right, because at that point it's the script intervening to make them more interesting instead of them being an outgrowth yeah. of their actual character motivation. That never happens in this movie. The writing yeah. is way too good. Um, I like to point out that it does kind of pull a bait and switch on you in this movie, because and I do really admire it for this, because it starts off with, Oh, whoever has the Bodhi's remains can change the martial world. Yeah. But at the end, you're right. They're all just fighting to have a normal life. No one gives yeah. a crap about the martial world. They want to leave. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> even Wheel King, he just wants to. He just wants to be a normal guy. I mean, granted, he's probably going to still want to, you know, be a functional member of the martial world. But uh, get that fat stacks from yeah. the Mandarins. But uh, but yeah. So I don't. Know, I, I I to me, it's like uh, you know. I mentioned the bride with white hair because that to me is a perfect wuxia film, and I think this yeah. nicely pairs with it. And 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 it it it, it, it you know it it, uh, it sort of and it, and it break and again because it gets into that spiritual stuff, it kind of has like a touch of Zen element to it that I really yeah. like. Like there's a there's, yeah, there is you know which is a movie we should probably cover at some point. It's a long movie though, so I don't know. But that's that's like to me that's like the benchmark. Of a, of a wuxia film that gets into spiritual themes. Um, but they make you work to to get there. You know what I mean? It's not an easy viewing. Um, yeah, people, I think a lot of people that I talk to around here in the Midwest have a very different idea of Buddhism and, like, Eastern spirituality than actually exists. Because, like, having studied it for most of my life, like, there is no easy way out when it comes to redeeming yourself and gaining enlightenment and trying to sever your tie, karmic ties. This stuff's hard. This movie does a really good job of actually showing, like, hey, look, you're going to bury everything about yourself to get to this point, and it's going to be a savage burial. Yeah, no, it, it does do a good job of that. And also it has, I don't know, just like, like you, you had mentioned that you could have used more action scenes, and I can understand why, because there's this lull in the middle of the movie where the love story is, is playing out. But I feel like that's so essential to the film that... It is. That because uh, you have the charming auntie lady, the 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 woman who basically helps helps to Match arrange their marriage, right? Um, I I just found her I found her delightful, and and I also I wanted to ask a question about that character because there's almost this implication that she's like a magic woman. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know if that's her being magical or if she's just super good at planning stuff. Like, and it's sort of it's nice to have that kind of ambiguity. Mm. Yeah, because at certain points in the film, you're like, wait, can this old lady summon rain? Can she make Ashung appear out of nowhere? Like, you know, or she just, no, does she have like some, she's either really intelligent or she, but I, every time I watch the movie, I'm like, wait, how magical is this lady really supposed to be? Is she like, is she like a bodhisattva or something? Like, what's going on here? Do you know what yeah, I mean? It's, um, it's clear. I, I like to think that she's just really smart and good at arranging stuff because that makes sense for a matchmaker to have that kind of like scholarly I can, I know enough to seem like I can predict the future kind of vibe. Um, that's, that's my take on it, but you're right, it is ambiguous. I think it's she's a bodhisattva. I think she's supposed to be a bodhisattva in this movie. That would make sense if she was a bodhisattva, because that would kind of, that means she's kind of like arranging that, that new path for the characters. Out of yeah, the old she's, she's helping them to get over these, you know, because again, the whole thing that their love is doing 
is it's sort of relinquishing them to the attachments of that past that they had. You know, I mean, like he's bound up in his desire for revenge for his family and she's, you know, bound up in the the killing of the family. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's so yeah. Um, yeah, they're both kind of haunted by that same night. Oh, and then there's that scene where like the 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 the, the Buddhist master is whipping her and saying like you know like the, like you know to uh, you know the the mind that's like attached to the past, the mind that's attached to the present, the the mind that's attached to the future. Like you know, just like let it all go. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and it, and and he says that when she asks him, "Can I go and be a normal person?" And that's like his answer. Do you know what I mean? It's a, uh, yeah, that that answer is such a, a frustrating answer. Because he doesn't really give her a straightforward like, yeah, go ahead, you know, which is what he's actually saying in the in the final run of things. He's saying like, why are you worrying about a past you can't change and a future you can't know with a present that you should be living in? Mm. Just come on, just let it go. Like that's really all he's saying. But the way he says it is in this this kind of obtuse, uh, clearly trying to teach you a lesson but sort of way. Which he, is the same way she learns her sword techniques too, for the record. But he's also beating her when he says it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's also, yeah. No, so I think I think there's like this added dimension of you know he, he's not saying it's going to be easy. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a there's a the, you know she's 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 trying like like the relinquishing of these attachments is a painful process, like you were saying, um, and and so it kind of gets into that. It's not it's not touchy feely lubby dubby. It's, it's a very, it's a very uh, difficult process that she's undergoing. It's not, it's not like you just hit a reset button and everything's, you know, back to normal. Um, so, and again, I mean, think of all the things she's had to do over the course of the movie. She had to reconstruct her face. To, oh, that, that was at the very start of the movie. And that is brutal because like, the doctor she goes to is like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stuff these drugs in your sinus cavities, and we're going to put these insect larvae in there. When they grow, they're going to eat away the bone over the course of several months, and then you'll look totally different. And, like, it, it, it sets all that up, and then it shows her lying there with, like, this mask thing around her face, mm. just lying there perfectly still with these insects burning. And you get this sense of just how horrible this whole process is. Yeah. For the months it takes these bugs to eat her facial bones and, away, and just for, for people who have, well, I'm going to spoil some things that are crucial. So for the people who haven't seen the movie, you might want to stop here if you haven't seen it, or you know, I don't know, maybe you don't care. But there is it's, like a there is a it's, it's well, worth not getting spoiled. So if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Yeah, because because Ah Shung, it turns out, is at the start of the movie they kill this magistrate and they kill his son, um, and she. And importantly, she she encounters the son over a bridge and kills him again. Oh, hell because, she does, she? Yeah, and 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 then that's when she meets wisdom, the 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 Buddhist priest. But she thinks that the son has been killed. She stabs him in the heart. She doesn't realize, like you said, that his organs are reversed, and yeah. so he falls into the river. And we find out later he's saved by the same doctor that she goes to to reconstruct her face. And they both get facial reconstructive surgery, essentially, which I think is a beautiful example of like a really well done anachronism in an ancient setting because you don't really question it even though they're basically bringing in this highly modern procedure of facial reconstructive surgery where where they're able to build a new face on the person which i mean it, it all it, it, it's it's even like more advanced than what we're capable of doing do you know what i mean oh it's, significantly yeah, more so yeah, yeah. so, so 
but they just do a really great job of explaining it with because once he mentions the insects, you're like, well, that kind of does sound plausible given the setting, and you know, and also incredibly painful, and then your mind kind of wanders more towards that than questioning the premise, and uh, you know, so but the, but the thing is, th- both these characters get their faces redone, and then they end up meeting each other again in Lu Yang and getting married, and it's just, I don't know, it's just a really interesting. Uh, it's just a really interesting plot to me the 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 way that this unfolds and the reason that it's good not to spoil that is because first of all I didn't think of that character again and I don't think most of the audience did after he he fell off the bridge it really felt like that was just the tail end of the scene where she's getting the body's remains and that was right before she met wisdom and wisdom feels like the important element of that whole sequence so when they get when they meet each other later she doesn't know who he is or who he was because who he is now is just this dumb sweeping, you know, messenger guy. He doesn't, he just does a bunch of odd jobs. So she, she has like a little clothes shop and they fall in love and get married. And you as an audience member have been following her. So, you know, she used to be an assassin, you know, she's a total badass. And so for the first like half, two thirds of the movie, it really feels like the adventures of wonder woman and this chump she married. Because yeah. uh, she keeps trying to protect him from the assassins who are closing in on them, and she and she even tests his kung fu at some point. She has hires a guy to punch him when he delivers a message, and I think she's trying to measure whether he's going to actually, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and he just t- takes the punch because yeah. he doesn't give a crap. He doesn't know this guy, and so he comes running over. and He's got a black eye, and she's like, "Oh, he is just a he's just a loser. Cool, let's get married." <laughs> so that's what that's the first two thirds of the movie, and I would like to point out it, it is perfectly satisfying. If that was the whole movie, I'd be totally satisfied. But they make it even better because later on, when she's finally like severely wounded by fighting off like what is it, all three assassins? And it's uh, everyone but the magician basically turns on her in that scene, and she gets hideously wounded by her ex master who taught her some kung fu wrong, so that he would have weaknesses he could exploit in her style. And she's like bleeding and cut up, and she staggers back home. And like again, audience not knowing any better, he puts her to bed. And then all the assassins show up and they're all like, you know, boasting around like, well, we're just going to kill her. Fuck you. Who wants to die first? So taking the whetstone that we that we saw telegraphed earlier, just puts it down and he digs up this this these two swords and starts sharpening them. And then they start this other kung fu fight. And it's kind of revealed that it's like, wow, this guy's a huge badass. Yep. The hell did this come from? But they they laid the groundwork for that. Literally, they show they show him placing the brick early in the film where he put the sword. Do you know what I mean? And you, and you get a lot of hints of that. You even see it in the bank robbery scene because remember, both he and Michelle Yeoh are debilitated with a paralytic strike and the bank robbers are... Well, and the, and the bank robbers start killing everybody because they're, they have to make an escape and they're working their way down the line towards them and you're just thinking of it from Michelle Yeoh's perspective who's trying to conceal who she is and she's biding her time. But what you almost don't notice is that Ah Shung gets up and... He's hobbled, like he clearly is like resisting whatever paralytic thing has an effect on him. But nobody else in that room is able to do that. Do you know what I mean? The fact that he can even get up like that suggests that... And I think if you rewatch that scene, what's clear to me is he was about to spring into action when she stepped in. Do you know what I mean? She steps in to protect him and she doesn't realize that he's just about to do what she ends up doing. Yeah, she was like a half step ahead of him. So, yeah, and there's, there's a lot of little foreshadow things like that that are subtle enough that if you're not on that page with the movie, they'll go over your head like they yeah. did with me. 
Because, like, the whole time I was just, I like, in that scene, I thought he was just being a heroic uh, dullard, basically. That he's going to get himself killed and she saved his life. But the reality is that well, he had a good plan. And and so. the, the film rewards reviewing for that reason. Because the first time I saw it, that was my reaction to that scene. But then when I, when I saw it this time, I was like, wait a second. He's getting up. And, like, wait nobody there. got up. And, I mean, like... It it just it just you know you you start to realize oh he he was about to do something in that scene. Um, the thing too, like whenever she knocks him down, it's an attack from behind, which he couldn't have seen coming. And when they hit him with the paralytic strike, it's not exactly in the same place they hit everybody else with it. Like he moves yeah. so they hit him in the shoulder bone instead of a little further down the collar. Which, by the way, immediately made me think about uh, Wonder Heroes of Ogregate because they have that you guys have that paralytic strike thing that really only works against civilians and incapacitated opponents. So, like, I was immediately like, ah, I see where they got the inspiration for that. Well, that's it. Uh, that's it. Like, like it's so common in the genre, the, the paralytic, free tapping. But but also his organs are reversed, so who knows uh, whether... Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, which they put... They, 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 again, that's, that's, that's all just so perfectly handled. Even at, the, like, the last scene, which I know you wanted to talk about, where she stabs him where the heart would normally be, but we know his heart is reversed and yeah. leaves him to appear dead. So wheel King can, uh, uh, be dealt with and she gets revenge on his behalf. Yeah. Again, there's, there's layer upon layer of facet of this movie because the poison she uses on him to perfectly paralyze him is the same poison that wheel King uses on turquoise earlier. And he buries her, then digs her back up to recruit yeah. her to the three black stones. In that same scene where she uses that against him, stabs him on the the proper heart side where he doesn't, where his heart is not, making him appear dead. It's essentially the same ploy to fool the Wheel King. But this is being we're interspersed with a shot of him actually, literally burying Turquoise yeah. because he's really mad at her for the whole well, revelation of him being a eunuch thing. And it, and it is like a really sense full sense full circle for her character like you said because she when she's introduced she's buried for and then he digs her up and then he reburies her and i think so much of the film has that quality to it just everything feels just sort of perfectly circular do you know what i mean right right down to the villain whose name is wheel king he's you know one of the ten kings of hell and is in charge of you know uh in the movie you know he claims that like his namesake is uh, the one who assigns people's rebirth. Do you know what I mean? Like that's so. You know, the the villain of the movie, you know, represents sort of the the karmic wheel that they're all sort of, you know, operating under. It's so, yeah. really fantastic. And like he he does represent that literally uh, for for her character because he is essentially the person that enforces the the karma of being an assassin on her. So it's only overcoming her it, her karma, enforced by the Wheel King in a metaphorical and, and physical sense, that she can ever be free of it. Like, there's just so much to appreciate there. And and one cool detail is his sword has that little wheel on it that he spins yeah. every time he's about to attack somebody. Uh, and it just kind of, it just sort of, I don't know, it, it, it just looks really cool, I think, but it also kind of connects to that theme of he's the one distributing sort of the, the, the karmic, I guess, karmic justice in a way, you could say. Uh, yeah, it's, and that's that's the, the function of the Wheel King, which, by the way, when they first said the name, the Wheel King, I was like, I was 100% sold on watching the rest of the movie. A lot of movies, like, 
you'll you'll watch them and they'll never give you that one moment until like you watch the whole thing you get to digest it where you're like I did like that no no no, no. as soon as he as soon as his name popped on the screen I was like Wheel King yeah I'm in yeah th- yeah there's like, some good names in this movie I also like the magician character who's got the uh, the the flaming swords and just uses all these like really interesting tricks I think at one point he actually uses the rope trick right doesn't he doesn't he ascend into the uh, it might be a deleted scene. It might not be in this one, but I know I've seen a scene of this guy uh, <laughs> climbing a magic rope. Yeah, I think so. I, I could be wrong, um, but uh, but yeah. So I think we should talk about this in terms of gaming because yeah, there's, there's a lot to appreciate the movie itself. Yeah. But like, but yeah, it, there were a few a few things in this one that really translated well to gaming. Uh, like uh, the whole organ reversal thing is the first one I'd like to point out. Like uh, where. It's such a strange, obscure little character detail. Like you can see that, like in uh, a lot of build systems, like Hero System or something like that, where, or or even like Legend of the Five Rings, with his like list of uh, benefits and flaws. Reverse organs is one of those things that's almost both, because a doctor would have difficulty treating you at the same time that you know an assassin would difficulty killing you because they're not exactly certain where to strike. Yeah, that's neat. Um, it's it's neat and it's gameable in like this this little kind of subtle way. And it, uh, it goes to highlight just how big of an impact, like, a, what is effectively, like, a one- or two-point character trait can be. Is the whole plot about him revolves around his organs being reversed several times. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I, and it depends on the game how it would be dealt with. I guess the way that I would probably deal with it in Ogre Gate is there's a rule that uh, characters can control whether they are using, like, a controlled, controlled strike to not kill you or whether they're using a lethal strike to kill you when they deliver enough damage that would put you over the edge and mm-hmm. i would probably have it be reversed in cases with characters like that do you know what i mean oh yeah you're right because like you would you'd be hitting the wrong side in either case yeah um i mean that'd be a pretty simple solution but uh, there's all kinds of ways yeah, you can handle it like that's elegant in a way that actually makes it something that could be really central to a game. Because what if the assassin wanted to gloat at them? So they were like, "I'm just going to put a paralyzing strike on this guy." Oh, he died. Yeah. Oops. Yeah, and, <laughs> that guy was important. I mean, unless of course the person knew. Then if they knew, they would allow it. But like otherwise, I think it would have to be reversed because you think you're dealing with the opposite arrangement of organs in the body. And so, you even know, if you know, it's so easy to make the mistake. Like, um, I I'm going to do. I, I'm a big fan of the Metal Gear Solid series. The second one was not the strongest entry, but there was a cool character who had that same thing where her organs were reversed. So at one point, the uh, she gets betrayed by this guy whose M.O. is literally, I will always betray you. He's the gunslinger guy. And he shoots her in the chest to kill her. It's, he's super good with shooting bullets. Like, that's his whole thing. Is his name Revolver Ocelot. He's got a revolver, and he's really good with it. So he shoots her in the heart, and he's like, hey, you're going to die. I'm going to get in this giant robot and kill you. And she stands back up to try and kick his ass. And he's like, oh, right, your heart's on the other side. Forgot about that. Stuff like so that. easy to make that mistake. No, stuff like that's really cool. And it's really it's a, it's it, it explains that opening scene on the bridge so well. So, you know, and they even they even make the sound of his heart beating through the she feels it through the vibration of the sword, it seems like. Um, but uh, another reason I, I think this is good for gaming is like, I'm, you know, you, you know, I'm working on a dark wuxia RPG. And to me, this is a really good example of dark wuxia. It's 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 inspired by Gulong. And it uh, I mean, this is a movie where they're burying people alive, where. Yeah. You know, where, like we said, the woman has, you know, this horrible facial reconstructive surgery that's incredibly painful. 
the main character kills a child in one of the first scenes in the movie like not like not the very first scene but like at the start of the movie one of her first actions without hesitation is to kill a child which is always a big no-no in movies right like that's like something that you you know that's sort of one of those lines but it's not done in a way that feels like ah we just killed a kid do you know what I mean? it doesn't feel like a, right. it doesn't feel like no mustache twirling it just feels like you know kind of a wrong place wrong time scenario mm. um like the thing that's a little more morally reprehensible i think from a chinese perspective is brought up really explicitly in the movie which is she kills the guy's dad uh yeah yeah they later get married and fall in love and everything and like it, he figures this out and he's holding a sword to her throat and he's like you killed my father how could i ever forgive you um like confusion like paternalism thing is huge in china so like you mess with somebody's parents that that that's a death sentence right there well i think i think it did a uh a really good job of handling it and i thought that again that's where like i was talking about the emotional weight of the movie that's where like a lot of the emotional weight is coming from with their relationship towards the end that's you know and and it's him getting over that grudge that mm. i find so overwhelming when i watch it that's the part that you know it, it is overwhelming like it's it's almost unbelievable and it, it really ugh. that last fight scene really kind of drives home just how difficult it is to get over something like that uh, but anyway, going back to the, it being a very dark wuxia, true, very dark. No, uh, and I think I think it's a, and I just think it's a good example if if you want if you want some you know some darker material to sort of draw inspiration from, this is good. And one of the ways that I used it, and and it's got to work its way into a module that eventually I'll be releasing, but who knows when it'll come out. But I had a, uh, I you know how they have the bodhidharma, the the they have the corpse of the of the of the monk who who brought uh, kung fu to China. And he's kind of like this desiccated husk, right? And in this one, he's cut into two halves, right? That's sort of one of the things that makes it a challenge is the bottom half and the top half are separate. But when I saw that scene, I was like, wait, what if, you know, in in, in a gaming setting like I run, supernatural stuff can totally exist. So what if, what if, what if he was more like a, like an undead creature of some kind that was just really slow and in a hibernated state? Do you know what I mean? Like, so you put it back together. He starts eating your chi yeah. or something. So, so in uh in in the wandering here's of Ogate setting, there our our version of Shaolin is the Sun Mai sect, and there's a character named Sun Mai who is a uh, uh, sort of a friend of one of the uh, of Sunan and Bao, the great heroes in the past. The, uh, you know the backstory of the setting, and so I and, and he's also he's sort of in the novel version of the setting he became kind of the breakthrough Fonzie-like character. Like, he was the guy who... He was just kind of a wild, humorous character who eventually becomes enlightened by the end of the story, but it's a really long path for him. And so he's very charming. Um, he's kind of a con man when it opens up. And and I decided, what if I had Sunmai become this thing? He sort of become, like... There's this concept in the game of the pure ones. He could become, like, a pure one, but, like, the true... He's the true king of the pure ones. He's the... He's the uh, he's this um, like okay you know how like in, in Chinese mythology when people become immortal it often says that they shed their their mortal coil and then they mm. like ascend what if he's what if what if this is the moral coil that remained behind when Sun Mai became immortal do you know what I mean this is the 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 desiccated corpse that's all the leftover attachments and resentments and evils mm. of Sun Mai that that he let go when he became immortal and and so uh and so so what i have is this sort of wicked lich-like version of sun mai that 
kind of needs to be carried around by people. He needs to be able to manipulate people to, to his uses. Um, and most of the time, he just pretended to be a corpse. And so he became a relic like in the movie. And at one point in the, in the, in the campaign, my players were hired to, to pilfer him. Do you know what I mean? And they just thought, oh, he's just like this ancient relic. And as they're carrying him out of the, out of the compound, he starts whispering in one of their ears and says like, hey, you know, why don't you take me to this hill over here and, and let's talk business. I want to I make an arrangement with you. And it became this whole thing. But he was really powerful. So he also was this potentially deadly villain in the campaign. Um, so I know that was how I, that was the adventure that I got out of the, uh, got out of the. Uh, That's cool though. <laughs> I like that. I may, I may just have to steal that, sir. Of course, I'd be stealing it from two places now, so. But it worked. It worked really well. It was, uh, and also what was cool about it was it kind of presents the players with a choice. Like, do we want to align ourselves with this this powerful undead creature that we're carrying around that's offering us it's you know it's offering us things to if we if we assist it, uh, or do we want to you know work against it because it's evil and nefarious? And I I, yeah. I ran multiple parties through that campaign like i had the material and i was play testing it and everybody responded differently to soon my some people embraced soon my and began working for him some people immediately rejected soon my and 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 tried to destroy him and some people embraced him with the aim of ultimately betraying him down the road um you know so. that's one of those great little like i don't even know what you'd call that because like it's it's a little like decision point thing where there's a lot of different ways you could react to that. Uh, and and you're right, like every party, every character is going to have their own dynamic kind of crystallize around the event. That's one of those like almost perfect pieces of prep, I want to say. Like I, I, I want to praise that pretty highly. Because like th- there's almost infinite ways that it could go, but there's one really good, easy way to introduce it. Like you don't have to prep more than just that guy really yeah. in the situation. They, they find the desiccated corpse. It starts basically trying to cut deals with them and they realize it's an ancient evil being. Now what? That's like a perfect uh, example of that, that adage about the person who thinks of the problem shouldn't think of the solution. Yeah. It's so much more fun to have the players yeah. be like, well, this happens now. What are you going to do? No, and, and that's what's cool about it, because I and I found I could introduce him in all kinds of different ways. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes parties would find rumors about him, and then they would realize, you know, and they would seek him out to, to steal him and sell him. Some groups would be assigned that by somebody else. Some groups would just encounter people that happen to have him. Do you know what I mean? There might there like other people might be seeking him in the setting. So I had a group that had recently acquired Soon Mai that they bumped into at one point. You know, like there there, there were different ways to introduce him, uh, but it was like a catalyst for any kind of adventure after that. So it was, it was interesting, but none of it ever felt predetermined. Um, That's really cool. <laughs> but uh, an- another thing that I guess we could talk about is inter-party conflict, because that is a component of the movie is sort of the, you know, you, yeah, there's a lot of betrayal. There's a lot of betrayal. And also like, there's a lot of examples of how you don't have to make betrayal boring. Like a lot of cases I, I encounter a, people who have this kind of mindset where, oh, betrayal will make it interesting. And so they make a character to betray. And I think yeah. that's sort of missing the point of what makes betrayal interesting and satisfying. Uh, you were talking earlier, and this might have actually been before we started recording, but you were talking earlier about like the scene where everyone's fighting in the courtyard and the magician 
all of a sudden realizes that he's getting a really raw deal because he's sick and dying and Wheel King's been exploiting him his whole life. So he's like, why don't I take the body's body and heal myself and then you can go back and live with your husband a normal life because Wheel King will be dead and then you can get all of his money and bribe money and start your noodle shop and he'll be dead and everything will be great. And so... Uh, the, the the assassin guy sets it out. Magician starts fighting, uh, and then uh, Zuer shows up and starts kind of uh, uh, matching blades and, and wits with our main character. And like that's one of those. There's so much about the betrayals in that scene that are that are rooted in the characters' motivations. Yeah. It wasn't like the screenwriter was like, and then a sudden unexpected betrayal will happen. The betrayal is an outgrowth of their characters following the natural arc of their progression. That's wonderful. And it it's okay, I think, for that to happen in a role-playing game. I think that we we as GMs and we as players role-playing games, really we understand that they are inherently cooperative exercises. Yeah. And so when you have a moment where the where two players are gonna come to blows in characters or, or in character like there's this kind of tendency. I have this this really strong tendency to kind of intervene and make them talk it out. And I've gotten to the point lately where I'm just like, nah, kill each other. Let's see what happens. Mm. Because if they're genuinely both role playing their characters, or, or however many people are role playing their characters, and this conflict is something that is arising out of not out of an out of game frustration, but out of an in game conflict and motivation that's escalating at this point of violence, you almost like you want it to happen. You you want to see that play out because even though it is a cooperative exercise on, on a metagame level we are agreeing to sort of resolve our differences by a clash of swords and characters so there, there's we, that that agreement and that cooperation never really vanishes even though the characters are in a direct like zero sum life or death conflict i think with when it comes to inter-party conflict especially if it's between players the important thing is to know that everybody's on the same page with it. That's what I've always discovered. I have run games where it's worked great. I have run games where it hasn't worked so great because people weren't on the same page. And so I think the key is make sure that everybody is on the same page. And as a GM, you know, I'm not usually too big into, like, the the, the GM managing players like children. I, I tend to treat my players as adults. But, uh, <laughs> but I feel like this is one of those times that you probably do want to keep an eye out for any – social cues that something's amiss because it's sure. uh it's 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 it sort of goes against one of the default assumptions many people carry with them into a game and so if one character is trying to attack another and one and that person is really troubled by it you want it you want to pick up on that um because it'll lead to problems in the campaign over time yeah, if the, you don't. there is a there is an undeniable social element to running games and like, I, I have the conceit that you are playing with your friends at the heart of this yeah if you're not playing with your friends being able to read the social cues is much more difficult so if you get a, a problem player just because you've introduced someone as a player that you don't know very well as a person like the the problem is much deeper than sometimes can be dealt with at the table because like if you invited someone to your campaign like on some on one of your friend's recommendations and they just all of a sudden in the middle of the campaign decide like, okay, I'm going to stab everybody else since they're wounded and I was in the back, take the treasure and run off. Like the, the problem was much deeper than the game. And, and it, it was a, a fundamental like lack of communication and trust way before the game started. So like, that's not what I'm talking about here. My, 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 
point is that if you're gaming with your friends and they are on the same page, then you shouldn't shepherd them. You should definitely intervene if someone's being a tool out of character. Yeah, no, and I'm just pointing out that line can sometimes be... Because sometimes a person's being a tool simply because they're not on the same page as everybody else. Not that yeah. their behavior would be tool-like if everybody were on that page. Do you know what I mean? So that, that's the <laughs> point. Intentional versus an unintentional tool. Yeah. Yes. Um, um, and with, with either case, I think it's important to clarify if they're being intentionally a tool or not. Because even if they're being intentionally a tool... I think that it's possible to have a good game come out of it. I don't know that that's a universal solution for every table, but a lot of cases, like, I, I actually had a friend whose favorite thing to do in games was betray the whole party. And since we all knew that going into the game, even though he was intentionally doing going to screw us over at one point, it sort of made it fun. There was, like, a mini-game going on in the background of every game. So, um... No, so, yeah. it, it, can totally, it can totally work. I mean, again, it, I think both of us tend to play with our friends, so it's not like we have the... You know, it's not like running at a convention where you you're doing it with strangers, and there's this big <laughs> gulf between you and them in terms of yeah. you know assumptions. But uh, but I I do think that it can add a lot of spice to a campaign when you allow for interparty conflict. I think that uh, you just don't want to make it a necessity. Uh, you you know you just when it can be where it can be very interesting is especially in campaigns that get to a level where intrigue becomes a possibility, say once player characters start acquiring power of any kind, um, mm -hmm. or, they, or they are important members of an organization like Darkstone, that's when it becomes interesting because it's when you have that question mark of, well, what is, what is Joe really thinking here? Like, what's, what's he planning? Is he, is he really offering to help me or is he going to stab me when I walk in the alley with him and then take the Bodhi from me? Like, you know, there's a... Uh, I can't can I trust this guy or not? If yeah, I, that's that's a powerful element to add into a game. I, I will mention a movie again, uh, Duel for Gold by Cho Yuen. People should check that movie out. It's a really good example of what a party looks like that doesn't trust each other. It's kind of like a Hateful Eight type situation, but you know, early seventies wuxia, um, and it's got a it's 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 it's, it's a really really well made film as well. So I, I would I'd recommend people checking it out. In addition to this movie, because this movie also kind of gets at that same sort of thing in the yeah, center you know, of it. A few times I was watching this movie, I was getting kind of a Pulp Fiction, Quentin Tarantino vibe out of it. So I think that that whole, like, and I think it's because the characters fundamentally cannot trust each other. Yeah. And so there's, there's a sort of audience and character level tension that's shared. Tarantino's a master of that. He does that all the time. Well, he and also he, he, he was inspired by a lot of wuxia and kung fu movies. Do you know what I mean? So, like... It kind of makes sense. Like, I'm willing to bet that... I'm a, I mean, I'm not 100% positive, but I have a feeling he probably has seen Duel for Gold. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I, I have to imagine he has. Um, so, and also, in this movie, I can see where you would think that because there's, like, the bank robbery scene. You know, mm -hmm. there's, there's the betrayal scene. There's just the... Again, like you said, the sense that you don't know how far these characters can trust each other. There's also sort of, like, the, the, the psycho femme fatale character. You know what I mean? There's, there's yeah, a... she, she was a very Tarantino character. No, the, the scene that nailed it for me was whenever the three black uh, stones come for her, and they're they're fighting her, and the Wheel King steps in, and he's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Let's all just cooperate. We'll all get what we want out of this. And, like, they have that moment of raw tension, and, like, they draw that thing out like a knife. And I was like, this is such a Tarantino moment. 
this shit could happen in a Tarantino movie. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. A lot of the, a lot. That's again. Usually, I'm one of these people that I want action in my wushu movies. And you even point out there's 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 kind of a lull in the action in the film. But He's a little bit more, man. But 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 I, but I feel like uh, one of the things I like about this movie is kind of like a Tarantino film. The the sort of dialogue moments and the te- the moments of tension are the really interesting aspects to it. You know, you you like just. The, that even the scene where when he uh, when he walks into the house when Ashung walks in the house and Turquoise has got naked and gone into the bed, that's like <laughs> that a, it, it goes. It, what's 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 very cool about that scene is it goes in a direction I had I did not expect it to go in the direction it went. It just it just it it, it, it totally surprised me. Um, you know, because instead you you think well he's either going to start shouting at her or he's going to be seduced by her or something like what's going to happen or yes. she's going to attack him. But, I thought, and th- this is where the movie was really able to pull the wool over my eyes. I thought that was going to be the scene where we would know for certain if this guy was a kung fu master or not. I was like, okay, he's going to have to fight this chick. She's super good at fighting. You know, that's all been telegraphed. So either he's going to be a kung fu master, or he's going to do the right thing, and get killed. One of two things. It's got to happen. Neither happens. Yep. He finds a way to dissolve the diffuse situation by just being clever. He picks up her clothes. He runs out and says, "There's a naked, crazy woman in my bed. Everybody, come look." Yeah, <laughs> it's like the, it's it's a it's such a jujitsu move, but it was so, it, <laughs> it was it was really a surprise. That 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 was one of the, I, I, that that moment always stands out in my mind. And there's a lot of scenes like that in the movie. I feel, um, so I mean, we always talk about how simple this film is, but it really is kind of surprising in a lot of ways. And uh, it's simple but sophisticated, and that's something that's really important about it. You can have a simple premise or a simple plot or a simple idea and and simply pull it off with a, a, a huge amount of aplomb and a lot of like depth and layers to your thinking. And it, it elevates it and makes it something really explosively fantastic. Mm. That's a good way to describe this movie. Yeah. And I, oh, go ahead. The raw plot chunks are, like you said, they're so simple. Everything about it is just like this little simple thing, a little simple metaphor, a little simple character scene. Well, it's all character driven, too. It's all What's character. That? It's all character driven. It's all about what the characters want and what they're doing, and it's a great way to sort of structurally think of a campaign. Like, you know, if the characters are sufficiently motivated and have their, you know, have their goals, and your NPCs, if you have an NPC like Wheel King, you know what Wheel King wants. Do you know what I mean? You know how to use Wheel King. If you have, uh, you know, a character like the magician, you know how to use the magician. You know how to use all these characters that they introduce over the course of the film. Um, and I think if the PCs are, you know, rooted in the campaign in some way, it just, it, you can, uh, it, it doesn't have to play out like it plays out in this movie. But if all of the characters are free to sort of, you know, just be the chemical reaction that they are in the game, it'll go in interesting directions, I think. Do you know what I mean? That's sort of, uh, it sort of, it sort of really encapsulates, uh, like I always like in, um, you know, like a good, a good, uh, a good character-driven adventure kind of just naturally comes to a head on its own. Do you know what I mean? Because everybody is, you know, and, and that's sort of what happens in this film. Um, you know, the motivations all lead them to intersect at, at uh, you know, in, in really dramatic ways. I don't know, maybe to re-examine how much I like this movie. Because, like, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, there was a lot of nuance there. Usually I love nuanced flicks. But, like, I don't... I gotta tell you, like maybe it's just my own prejudice. I want to go into like, with a, like, especially with a martial arts movie, a wushu movie. Like, I really am in it at a base level for the crazy kung fu and the magic stuff. Like, I love that stuff, and I think that actually might be a different genre. I think that's uh, what they call tian shao, 
or or Xiao Xiao or something like that. It's it's the like immortals using super kung fu magic genre. Yeah, yeah. something like uh, oh, is it the Zhu yeah, Warriors or something like that? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, no, that, that's that's like the um, that's what Wuxia World specializes in. They have translations of Shanxia novels that are really high level of power. Um, uh, that that's a whole that that's a that's a whole subgenre of itself. But um, but with this, this this movie is is much more firmly rooted in wuxia for sure. The closest we get to any kind of magical stuff is the bodhi and the um, uh, uh, the magician. But there's always enough ambiguity that you're never really sure: is it real magic? Is it fake magic? Is it just a legend or a rumor? Um, Do you think that ambiguity is an important element of it too? Because it's it never really crests far past a very believable level of capability for anyone or any yeah. element. So, like, that's, I think that's important for Wuxia. I think it has to kind of, like, it's necessarily restricted. Like, again, because you wouldn't watch Die Hard and judge it on whether or not it was, like, a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to appreciate Die Hard for what it is. We, we don't expect Bruce Willis to pop out of Mantine Claws yeah. and start shredding people. That's, we're doing something different here. Yeah. And it's great. Like, I'm not going to complain about getting Die Hard. In a lot of ways, this movie was kind of like, like the Wuxia equivalent of Die Hard, where it was a little grittier it didn't really go zany. So, like, you know, I, I've got my preference. I definitely prefer uh, the, the crazy, zany, uh, laser eyeballs kind of movie. But it's not entirely fair for me to be like, well, it's, you know, Die Hard didn't have superpowers. Which I yeah. think it's kind of what I'm doing here. Okay, I see um, what you're saying. Well, <laughs> it, it, I feel like what, what this movie felt like to me when I saw it was it felt like a really refreshing film. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I, I felt like it, I, I don't know. There was just something about it that it was, it was classic enough. It had all the classic wuxia elements, but it was doing stuff that I, I, I hadn't seen really done to the extent that it was done. Like though, just the way it handles the love story to me felt a little bit different. Uh, the way that it, the way it emphasized the spiritual themes was, I mean, spiritual themes come up in wuxia movies, just the way it was done here also felt different. I think it was just a really well done movie, well acted, with uh, you know, with a really great sense of what it wanted to be. Do you know what I mean? You never you you yeah. picture this movie and you immediately picture the tone of the shots and the atmosphere and the music, and it all just is cohesive and it's a clear vision. Do you know what I mean? Like when I think of Touches End, that's a clear vision. That's the director had a really clear image in his head of what he wanted to achieve and he achieved it. Now you can quibble over the results, but he definitely gets what he wants. And I feel like that's this this is that kind of movie. There was a very there was a very stark vision that was realized. And I don't think that's easy to do because a lot of movies don't do that. Do you know what I mean? No, this this movie definitely did what it set out to do. And it did something that is extremely impressive, which is it in no way defied the tropes of the genre. It, it was It's almost, like you said, perfectly classically wuxia. But what it did defy was all of your expectations about how those things were going to manifest, yep. what they were going to mean, and how, what the outcomes were going to be. Yep. That's an impressive balancing act. And, and I think, again, and it wasn't afraid to get into the emotional content and make that... Like, it's easy to have a love scene that's emotional and compelling, right? It's not easy yeah. to have fight scenes that are emotionally compelling. Do you know what I mean? Like that, the, the scene with wisdom is, 
is one of the more moving scenes in the movie the the, the opening when she's fighting with wisdom do you know what i mean that's that's not an easy thing to pull off uh you, you take you know you have to, the choreography has to be right you know and again i think that's another reason why i'm, I'm frequently comparing this to bride with white hair because that's another movie where the emotional beats of the film really kind of hit you during the fight scenes do you know what i mean like there's a it's able to sort of weave the emotional threads into the action in a way that that's yeah and really I hear a really good job of that too i concur so yeah uh, that that seems really good that particular fight scene really a lot of the fight scenes have an unexpected like dimension to them that's that draws you in a lot more than the fight scene itself and i think yeah. that maybe that's the root of my complaint even though i admire it and did enjoy it is that I do want the action and the fight scenes to be the important thing. I don't. I don't think that, like, because in Bright and White Hair, they did a good job of balancing the 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 tension and the stakes and the movements of the fight itself with the emotional resonance. Yeah. And this one, I feel like it was unbalanced in favor of the emotional resonance. Like the scene we were talking about earlier, the Tarantino scene where they fight and there's this wonderfully drawn out moment of tension where you're not sure if they're going to keep fighting or if they're going to strike an uneasy alliance. That completely overwhelms the action in that scene. Like but that the is action's still really good. The action is like, like the scene with Drizzle where she's fighting with those people in the village at the start. That's a great action scene, and the uh, and the scene in the bank with Michelle Yeoh. That's a tremendous action scene. I think um, the bank is one of the one of the best action scenes in the movie. Is, is even though it's quick and it is a little too quick for my taste. Mm-hmm. Even though it's quick, it's extremely dense and rich. And so but, you're not really disappointed in it. The other thing is that they're specifically modeling this after Gulong, and if you read a Gulong story, his like there's there's you know there's a lot of different Wuxia novelists, but like if we, if we want to like compare Louis Cha and Gulong, who are two of the big ones, Louis Cha tends to have these epic battles that that will play out over two chapters sometimes, like the two chapters of the book, and I'm talking long chapters. I'm not talking like you know short little chapters here. Will be fighting. There'll be action scenes. Yeah, Gu see, Long, that's, that's my jam right there. But, but Gu Long is a little bit more Japanese in style. He'll have these scenes that are this big buildup of tension and then sudden violent action and then silence <laughs> and then death on the ground. Do you know what I mean? It's like a very sort of... Uh, it's a very Kurosawa kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, very so. much so. Um, again, I can play about a Kurosawa film. But so, I mean, even in a Kurosawa film, like Take the Seven Samurai, some of the best action in that movie doesn't follow that formula. Some of the best action is drawn out and muddy, yep. and like the the characters like have obvious like panic or terror or triumph, and it, there's a lot more like squeaky nuance and detail to it that makes it a little less clean. Like it, it's not all, and I think it's to contrast with the ideal version of it because the, the ideal Japanese version of it, especially in Kurosawa's stuff, it, he puts in that very movie, which mm-hmm. is. You know, it's it's a calm, a strike, and then yeah. finality, and that doesn't happen in that movie at all. Like it totally, it's again, it's intentionally defying your expectations. But like, I like it. I like that that muddier version because I find, first of all, it's a little more like agreeable to me in the sense of it being a little more like close to life. And second of all, there's just more more detail and, more and nuance to it. But but my point was that this is more in the model of the Gulong sort of and I don't, I don't want to oversell it because it's not like these fights look like Japanese samurai like like the ideal version of a Japanese samurai no, stand they're, they're much yeah they're it's, it's, it's very Chinese but it, it but it's just that the fights do tend to be 
a little bit more efficient, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, uh, they're more sudden and violent. It's more yeah. like getting stabbed in the night or getting ambushed than it is like this kind of drawn out strategic thing. But they do have plenty. There's still plenty of meat to chew on, and I feel like they do a good job of getting the emotive qualities of the characters. Like there's that moment when they're having the the battle between the uh, uh, the magician and and the rest of the Darkstone group when the magician realizes that he's in deep trouble. <laughs> And, like, you see it on his face. And I think that's a real good sort of moment in the fight. Um, and then there's the moment when uh, he, the, the Wheel King explicitly says that to him. He says, look, I've been telling you forever. You know, you, you, you insist on mixing your magic and your kung fu and blending them together. You need to pick one or the other. And, 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 and it's, like, it's like everything crystallizes in that moment. You're like, oh, great, shit. Like, the Wheel King has devoted himself to mastering his martial arts. This guy has been splitting it 50-50, and now he's, yeah, he's going to pay the price. Um, yeah, it's, and that's a really, that's a good character-driven moment, and the acting is forefront in that, but it makes the action a very secondary concern. And, like, I'd contrast that with, say, the fight scenes in Five Element Ninja, mm-hmm. where they're much zanier, granted, but you have characters like the Ninja, and so when they go to take them down... There's all these other tactical dimensions that make the fight itself center stage, and that's that's my preference. Like that's well, the kind of stuff I, I would like. I would disagree a little bit. And, and the thing is, keep in mind, I'm somebody who I generally prefer action. Like I'm not somebody like like the movie The Assassin when that came out, the 2015. I didn't like that movie because it was so dull. Do you know what I mean? I like movies. I like <laughs> there movies generally more than action. And, right? and t- you know, Touch of Zen I like because it's made by a, a brilliant director. But normally, films that are that languid. Or not to my taste. I, I really do like the action. But what I feel this movie does well is it makes you care about the action. When when that when that exchange happens between Wheel King and and the magician, it really like it hooks my interest in the next in the next uh, attack sequence. Do you know? Because then I'm like, oh my god, the magician is in trouble, and it, it it just it just engages me more in the material. I feel like that was my reaction. Like when um. When they confront Ashung and it's revealed during the fight that he's really the son of the magistrate who they thought they killed, that that's that fight has so much weight when that when 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 that realization comes to light. Do you know what I mean? It's it's like it's suddenly like the it's kind of like the moment in um, what's the movie Fight Club when he realizes that that he's got a split personality and. Uh, and, and, and you know, and that Tyler Durden is just his other, you know, just just him, and and like I think I think literally the camera spins around him or something. There's like a there's a room spinning. There's a to, yeah, that that's sort of how you feel when you're watching this scene. Um, and I and I and and fair. Well, in defense of that scene's action, it's some of the best in the movie. It's fantastic fighting. It's well choreographed. There is a, di- a dimension of tactical discussion, even where he's like, "Oh, the, those needles aren't really good in this scenario." So yeah. they they telegraph it really well. So like that that scene's great fighting. So I don't really have a strong complaint with that one, aside from I just wanted a little more. You wanted Maybe more. A you wanted stuff. more quantity of the fighting. It sounds. Like. I, I did want more quantity, and I, I wanted it to be a little a little closer to to being the more important thing. I really feel like the action is kind of stepping back and be like, whoa, I'm. We're about the characters in this movie, mm. which is fine. The characters are great, and I do love the movie, but I really like that. I'm, I'm going to have to make you watch Touch of Zen one of these days. Just damn to it! <laughs> I I just want to get I just want to get your because that movie, like the first half of the and the movie's like over three hours. I forget the exact time. It's a long movie. Um, this is going to be brutal. And the first half is like no action, and then the second half is like 
endless. Killing the smalls. It, it kind of builds up to one big fight. I mean, there's a little bit of stuff sporadically, but it's really, <laughs> it takes its time. Like, it literally starts out with a guy who has, like, a, uh, a shop in town where he paints people's portraits. And, like, you got to sit through and watch the guy set up his shop for the day. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, uh, it's a lot of the stuff can seem tedious on first viewing. Um, Interesting. But, but... <laughs> I'm 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 merely emphasizing the boring aspects of it because it's one of these films that's so highly regarded, but a lot of people haven't actually seen it. So when they finally do see it, they're like, "Oh, I'm watching Touch of Zen," and they're a little surprised by how slow it is. So I just always overemphasize the slowness of it before people. See so it. that you're you're well prepared. Yeah, because is, on well, Amazon Prime, like, couldn't I watch that like in the next? Like, if, as soon as we wrap this up, could I immediately start watching it? I think I could. Uh, I don't know. Let me check if that's on Amazon Prime. That's a, yeah, good, that's question. a good question. Because, uh, like, you kind of you kind of sold me on the journey of the movie. Because sometimes you don't see a movie necessarily because you think you're going to love it. Sometimes oh, wow. you see a movie because it sounds so, interesting to watch. A Touch of Zen is on Prime Video to rent and buy. Um, is this? But the thing is, there have been many versions of it. Is this the remastered oh. version? That's the big question. Yeah, that's a question for our audience too. Like, oh, it's which, the Criterion which, Collection version, so so probably awesome. So if you watch it and it looks gorgeous, you're watching the right one. If you watch it and it looks really grainy and difficult to see, then you're watching the older one. Um, it's an it's 170 minutes. That's I think that's wait, what's 170 minutes come to? Well, 180 is three hours. <laughs> I think that might. I don't know if that's right or not. Um, I'll have to look it up after, but there is there is a version online that I think might be uh, might be the remaster version. Uh, it's a uh, but what you got to understand about Touch of Zen is it really it's like he's trying to convey the concept of Zen through the movie visually, and it's again it, 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 it's it, it's it's it, it has a lot of iconic scenes like this is where the iconic bamboo forest scene comes from is a touch of zen Ooh, you know what I mean? really yeah that's but but i i do have to emphasize it's not an easily earned viewing you know there's a lot of movies you can just pop them in and watch them in an hour and a half and you're done a touch of zen demands effort on the part of the viewer do you know what I mean? well some of my favorite movies demand significant effort um for example, I, mean, I hate to go back to The Godfather every time I want to say something about a good movie, but like Godfather is a good example of you need to sit there and pay attention, students. Yeah. It, it deserves your attention, and you should give it your attention. Also, so, the book's worth movie. reading. The book The Godfather is worth reading, if anybody... I still got to read Condor Heroes, man. Like, I'm behind on my Kung Fu reading. Condor Heroes, like, in... in I'm coming to realize that's kind of the quintessential, like, work of Wuxia, is that that novel so like or, or whatever version of that novel is. well there's there's it's a trilogy there's the legend of condor there's like the first one sometimes just called eagle shooting heroes or legend of condor heroes and that's that's really lengthy that's like reading lord of the rings in terms of the the, the page length it might even be longer and then there's <laughs> return of condor heroes which is equally as long and then there's heaven sword dragon saber which is also equally as long they're usually divided into four volumes each um so but they're Chinese, worth it. Chinese writing is like that, though. They'll be like, "Look, you better read the cliff notes, then the entire book, and then the afterthoughts on the book." And it's like this dictionary-sized book, and you're like, "Okay, okay, I can do this." 
it's it's, it's all worth your time though. I've never read a Chinese book where I was like, I didn't shouldn't I never should have read that. Yeah, oh, us- usually it feels worth it at the end. Um, I, I and I think let uh, the Condor Hero series is really well written. It's um, it's got some amazingly interesting characters. It has again. Usually, I love action in movies, but action in books usually bores me to tears because it's really annoying watching a writer try to write an action scene over several pages. Somehow, he manages to make it really interesting in the uh, the way that he weaves in the dialogue and that he keeps things fresh and interesting. It it doesn't it doesn't lose your interest at all, um, and and the stories are really good. I I, I I would I would highly recommend people check out. Uh, the Condor Heroes series for sure. Um, in fact, it's timely because the uh, the second volume of Legend of Condor Heroes has just been uh, translated and released. So I actually I have a review copy right here that I need to tackle. Um, but uh, you know, it's a, it's it's it, again it's 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 you know I I can't comment on this one specifically because I haven't read this version yet. But the 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 fan translations of them are great. Um, so. Uh, you know, and I and the the volume one translation of Legend of Condor Heroes was also really good. So, you know, I, I highly recommend people look into that. But yeah, touches end. We could do at some point if you wanted to. That would be yeah, gonna have to, gonna have to. After this whole thing, we we absolutely have to because like, and I sort of want to hear that podcast now, where I'm like, oh god, for however long it took me to have to actually like sit down and tell my mind to shut up and pay attention to the movie. I, it's, it's necessary. you gotta, you got to discipline yourself a little bit to get the really I, good things out of life. I used to have no problem watching longer movies, but now that I've been corrupted by social media and <laughs> you know, have developed that short YouTube attention span and all that stuff, yeah. I, I have to, what I find I have to do is I have to deprive myself of social media in advance of watching a movie like that. Um, it, it changes your brain chemistry when you just yeah. get off for a little while so like yeah no i i feel you because sometimes like I'll, I'll do it too like uh this monday i was not productive because i was like oh hey i'll just sit down and watch red letter media for a little while and like four hours later i'm like oh i gotta pick up my kids oops should have got my reading done <laughs> yeah that's 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 always the uh that's always the challenge in, in this day but uh but touches that is i mean what i would recommend is maybe can you do Prime on your uh, TV by any chance? Yeah, I always watch it on my TV. I yeah, I, I, re- yeah. I recommend watching A Touches End on a TV. Um, I think it I think it benefits greatly from being viewed on a, on, a, on as large a screen as possible. Um, you're out a weekday at some point in the future. It's it's my midterms week this week, so like I was kind of I was kind of crushed. But um, also, yeah. interesting fact. It is based on a Pusong Ling story, on a Strange Tales story, even though you wouldn't even know it. Um, it's because it, it, it's if I remember, I want to say it's one. There's like a story where there's like a spider spirit that's like a swordswoman, or I can't remember. There was some weird story I think it was based on, and I I always get it confused with other stories. But mm. uh, but but he kind of reframes it. He takes out like you can still see traces of the supernatural in it. Um, but it's uh, it's it's brought to a much more mundane level, so he can tackle the themes he wants to tackle. Um, I get you. So yeah, so yes. um, we've been going Despite on for what was that? Despite it being my preference for it to have been more about a supernatural Spider Woman, I think that there is a strong argument to be said that would just overwhelm whatever more subtle theme you wanted to put in. And, and so. I sh- 
Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just. I was done. So I should say too that the um, the remastered version. I think the remastering was overseen by Shu Feng, who's the actress from A Touch's End. So it's really in good hands if you, if that's the version they have on Prime, which I'm I'm not 100 percent sure if it is or not. There have been a there have been a, it looks like it. it's got the cover, but I've I've been deceived by Prime's slick use of the wrong cover before. So I want to be cautious and. Yeah, was, uh, so I'm gonna have to head out. It looks like we've been going on for a very long time. So it's like, um, we almost did two here. Yeah, so we did yeah. the we, we wrapped up the wushu conversation. Yeah. All right, we, we will we will continue this discussion uh, maybe next week. And uh, and I'm gonna I'm uh, and me and Joel will head out. And I guess until then we will talk to everybody later. Yeah.